Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. In this episode, we pass the mic to the Associate Director of Career and Professional Development at Stetson University College of Law, which is also her alma mater. This person was an initial cheerleader for the Journey to Esquire program before we even had our first set of students or did any interviews or any modules. And now she is joining us on our podcast. She has great stories about her work, making sure that lactation rooms are available for nursing moms. Please welcome Joanne Grages Burnett. So welcome, Joanne. Thank Um, you. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Let us know where you work and your position. Sure. Well, I'm so honored to be here today to have a chance to talk to you. Um, I am Joanne Grages Burnett. I am an Associate Director of Career and Professional Development here at Stetson University College of Law. Um, And I have been with the College of Law. I'm an alumna of the College of Law, but I've been back in this role in this office for about eight years now. Great. So we're going to talk to you about your journey to Esquire. Why don't you start with why did you decide to become a lawyer? Well, I think like many of the students that I work with, um, I grew up sort of hearing, you know, oh, you'd be a good lawyer. Um, You should go to law school. And that just sort of resonated with me. I liked the idea of being a lawyer very much. And so kind of from a very early age, I sort of knew that that was the path I was going to be on. I don't really know that I had a defining moment of, I'm making a choice to become a lawyer. It was just sort of something that I was always already on the path for. Um, So I went to the University of Florida um, and I got a degree in sociology, uh, a minor in education, and I did a lot in the American Sign Language program. Um, And it was just sort of a natural transition for me. I just always knew I was going to law school. And so I went through the application process that, of course, we all go through in order to get to law school and found my home at Stetson. Um, And I had an amazing experience at Stetson. I loved being in law school. Um, I had, I met, you know, the, an amazing group of friends that I'm still very close with. I just loved being on a campus. Um, I loved the experience of learning. And so for me, leaving law school was sort of a a big transition. And then of course we go into the bar exam and, um, and I, when I came into law school, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I did very consciously know that I did not want to practice criminal law at that time. 
Um, but I had experiences in law school. Um, most specifically, I did a clinic in the uh, public defender's office in the Sixth Judicial Circuit, and I loved it there. I loved the people. Um, I found the work to be truly rewarding. And when I left law school, that was really the only place that I wanted to work. And I was fortunate enough to get hired there after I passed the bar. And I stayed there for uh, just under three years, had a wonderful experience. Um, but ultimately, there was an opportunity to return back to Stetson. And um, I really just couldn't pass that up. And looking back, um, this is where I'm really supposed to be. And this is sort of the work that I'm really supposed to be doing. So it's been a wonderful journey to Esquire. Good. Well, let's t- take a step back and you sure. apply to law school. Let's talk a little bit about your law school application process because this uh, the listeners to the podcast are going to be um, some yeah. graduates and maybe they've been out of school for a while. Maybe they just graduated trying to figure out how they even start. Right, right. And I think um, my advice would be certainly coming from my perspective now and, and sort of what I wish I would have known back then, I wish I would have known what a resource the law schools can actually be for you. I think there's a fair amount of research that you can do at home, online, and by going to fairs, but I don't think I can really um, emphasize enough the importance of trying to connect with law schools, whether that be a campus visit, right, which I think is really important if you can do it, but that's not always feasible depending on where you're applying and where you live. But certainly now, I think the opportunity to reach out to someone in in the admissions office and have a conversation with them, most of the times law schools will probably connect you to alums in the area if you want to speak to an alum or a professor. So if I was doing the whole process again, I think I would do that a lot more. I would really connect to the schools that I was interested in and try to get into some conversations to ask the questions that are really important to you. What is life going to be like as a student? Um, What sort of courses can I expect? What sort of opportunities outside of the classroom might I be expecting? You can always reach out and ask to talk to someone in the career and professional development space. I think there are a lot of people on campus who will be really excited and willing to spend some time with you uh, because we really, we want it to be a good fit as well, right? We want this to be a great partnership. Um, We want you to be uh, a successful and happy and healthy student. And we want that to transition into the alumni side too. So I think law schools remember that they have a vested interest in making sure that you're happy and successful. So use them as a resource. Um, I wish I would have done that a little bit more. It worked out fine for me. I'm very happy, but I think that that's something um, I see successful law students have done. Great. So now we're t- transitioning into your being in law school and you said you mm-hmm. really enjoyed your experience and you actually had a some mm-hmm. time transitioning out, mm-hmm. but you enjoyed it so much. Talk a little bit more about um, the experiences you had in law school that you found really helpful and what will you encourage students to um, look to doing, particularly in their second year of law school, um, to right. the law school experience? Well, I think um, making sure as a 1L, to set yourself up for a very successful 2L year, I think as a 1L, I really encourage you to just connect with campus. You have so many resources at your disposal, not only from your faculty, but from your, your staff and, and administration and career and professional development, student affairs, academic success, whatever departments that your school has, make sure that you really connect 
because the legal profession is just inherently relationship based. And so by, um, by connecting to campus, you can really understand the resources that are available to you and get advice on making sure that you're doing all of the things when you should be doing that. There is sort of a rhythm to law school. And I think making sure that you, you understand what that rhythm is, um, is really important to your success. And then for your second year, I really think it's really important to take what you've learned inside the classroom and get it and, and practice it outside of the classroom. So taking advantage of externships um, in your third year, that maybe look like maybe looks like a clinic where you're actually doing the work of the lawyer. Um, making sure if your school has a pro bono requirement that you're being strategic um, and mindful about what sort of opportunities make sense to you, not only from a resume perspective, but what sort of things just um, speak to you. Right? Many people come to law school because there, there may be a community or um, a group or a type of person that you want to advocate for. And so finding time in law school to practice that, I think is good from a resume perspective, but it's also just good to help you understand sort of the skills and competencies that you need to be successful. Um, and so I had the opportunity to do an externship with a judge, which was really wonderful because I got to have a relationship with that judge, but I also got to sort of understand from the judge's perspective what he valued in the courtroom, which was great. And then I had the opportunity to practice that in the clinic. Um, and I did my clinic in, in the public defender's office, which is where I ultimately got hired after law school. And so um, I think if you start as a 1L and start to lay that foundation and have those relationships, people can guide you to make sure that you're capitalizing on some really great experiences as a 2L. And then as a 3L, really put all of that to practice. Um, and I think that that sort of strategy works with a lot of different career paths, whether you want to go into more of a transactional practice, whether you want to work for a judge, whether you want to be in the courtroom, or whether you want to work for a business um, or have you know, a career that finds your JD to be advantageous, not necessarily your bar license. So I think that sort of rhythm sets people up very well for success. Oh, that's a great tip regarding the JD preferred positions mm -hmm. uh, versus you know, the ones that require you to have a license because a lot more students are finding they don't necessarily want to practice. And so yes. they look for those JD preferred jobs. Um, so even though you said you did the, the criminal externship and that's where you ultimately mm -hmm. worked, were there other aspects to your job search or was was it pretty much a done deal after your clerk, your, your externship? Well, with the, the clinic my third year, that was basically um, like a three-month job interview. And so that was the place that hired me right after law school. Um, and so for me, relationships have always sort of been the thing that have helped me get the job that I want. Um, and so when I made the commitment that I really wanted to be a public defender, I utilized the people that I had been working with there in the clinic and asked them for their advice. Um, and ultimately the, one of the attorneys that I had worked closely with, he was the one that alerted me that there was an opening. Um, and so the relationships have always sort of fueled my job search. When I decided I wanted to come back to Stetson, I relied on the relationships that I had kept on campus to help me, um, understand what opportunities might make the most sense for me to help me be aware of when jobs might be coming open. So 
that has been what has worked for me. And I think by and large, you can't underestimate the power of relationships in your job search. I think it is it is a really key component, but depending on what career path you are, you are on or your um, own um, strengths, right? You may have a different way of, of securing your job. So I think it does require some self-assessment to understand what makes the most sense for me and also what, what does the market really require for each of these jobs? So how do people sort of get them? And again, I think that that's insight that you can get from the resources that are available to you on your campus. That's great. Thinking of the market is important because law school for many people is three to four year commitment. And so you don't know what's going to happen further out. So what advice do you have for new and future law students, students who are maybe in college now, or they've Mm -hmm. got their bachelor's degree and they've been thinking about law school, but it's been maybe four or five, six years. I hear a lot of create relationships, foster those relationships. Um, Any particular advice you have for those students? Well, I think, recognizing that this is a significant investment um, is super important, right? Because you're going to be giving, like you said, three to four years. Um, It's no secret. Law school is expensive, right? But you are also giving up three to four years um, of your life to come and get a wonderful education. And so I think to do it with, to be intentional about it is really important. Um, I would say if I, if I was thinking about law, school, I would probably spend a little bit more time than I did looking at what lawyers actually do. And so I think there's a lot of ways that you can do that. Um, You can go and watch court. I think that that's a great way to see what some types of lawyers do. Now, you're going to see a lot more of a litigation practice when you go to court, but I think you'll start to see at least how it all sort of fits together. Um, I think reaching out to lawyers through either, again, by working with your law school that you're interested in asking them to connect with some alums, but find if you know a lawyer or if you know someone who knows someone who knows a lawyer, seeing if you might have an opportunity to just talk to them for 15 to 20 minutes to ask them about their day. Sometimes those are kind of hard to strategize out of nowhere, Um, but I think those can be really helpful, at least in framing the legal profession for you. Um, And like you said, like lawyers have all sorts of different paths. Um, When I'm talking to students, like, you know, when you go to medical school, you're going to leave and you're more than likely going to become a doctor, right? However you become a doctor in what specific practice, um, sure, that they go in a lot of different directions. But people come into law school for a lot of reasons. And you can do a lot with a law degree, but you do have to sort of be intentional about how you approach it so that you can make sure you maximize your investment. And so for me, talking to lawyers about what they do and what they like, and then asking that lawyer to see if they can connect you to another lawyer, um, that can be a good strategy. There's also lots of, of course, resources online, um, NALP, N-A-L-P, is sort of uh, it's a professional organization that um, that law school career services folks and law firm and employers legal employers belong to, but they have a lot of great resources online. Um, the American Bar Association or ABA uh, they have a lot of resources online about the legal profession and some trends that you can sort of research. And I think that is a good way to sort of help 
you navigate um, the legal profession. Okay, that's great. And then I can definitely tell your expertise in career development <laughs> a lot on this interview. Um, so I'm glad yeah. that's one of the reasons I was so happy you agreed to interview because you can bring um, that aspect. Um, I'm amazed at how many students come into law school like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, has there been a, ma- a calculus <laughs> calculation of, okay, I'm investing this. This is what I'm likely to make because I did that. And that mm-hmm. was um, help guide a lot of my decisions and keep me from feeling like I was drowning, really. Right, right. And, you know, even if, and I went to a state school, but even mm-hmm. if you go to state schools, it's just a lot of expenses associated with it. You're listening to Journey to Esquire, the podcast, where we explore the best ways to promote diversity, create access, and feed the legal pipeline with talented students of all backgrounds. Here are some guidance from today's guest. Um, so thank you for that. So now we're going to transition a little bit to the diversity discussion. Journey mm-hmm. to Esquire is not just about um, talking about uh, individuals and how they became lawyers, but the different stories that come together and how we all become lawyers and then what we can do once we are lawyers to make sure that people of different backgrounds can continue to be represented within the legal profession. So um, let's talk a little bit about gender diversity. You know, 50% of um, law students now are women, but then you look Mm -hmm. at law firm leadership, legal employer leadership, and it's not quite making it. Right. It's not representing the graduates. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I um, am fortunate to be able to do a lot of work with the Florida Association for Women Lawyers. Um, And that is a statewide organization, although most states have sort of an equivalent to um, a state women's bar. Nationally, there's the National Association for Women Lawyers. And I've been involved with that group um, a little bit as a law student, but really when I came back to Stetson, I got very involved in my local chapter. And for me, that, how I sort of do my part um, to sort of address gender inequalities in the profession and gender diversity issues in the, in the profession is to sort of be in the room and be in the conversations and do what I can to try to make a difference. Um, and that empowers me with education about what some of those numbers are, um, what I see successful um, lawyers doing and trying to expose them to my students uh, and vice versa. And so I, I think for me, I think everyone has a responsibility to ensure that the profession um, is as diverse as the as as our communities, right? I mean, when you think about the responsibilities that lawyers have, they are people in the community that others may look up to. And I think it's really important that we're all able to identify uh, in some way with the legal profession. I believe that's the same with the judiciary, right? I believe that we should all be able to identify with some aspect of the judiciary. And so I think everyone has a responsibility, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you are transgender, whatever, whatever, wherever you come from, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that our profession is unique and diverse. Um, so being a part of the Florida Association for Women Lawyers has done that for me. And um, I 
value that group. I think it's a really wonderful, supportive group whose sole mission is to ensure that we have gender equality in the legal profession. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of work um, on uh, courthouse lactation rooms, which is a project that um, became pretty personal to me as I became a mother. Uh, But a couple of years ago, I found myself kind of wanting to do something something different. Like I, I love my job and I love what it does for me and for my, my school. But I felt there was a part of me that I wanted to do something else for the profession, but I didn't really know what it looked like. And I found myself kind of struggling with that for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, this idea about courthouse lactation rooms sort of came to me. Um, and I was watching sort of what was going on in the legal profession. I thought, you know what, I feel like I can really make a difference here. Um, and so I was able to partner with Fall. And we've since lost, launched um, a handbook for state courthouses. And it's we've gotten some national attention. I also, it allowed me to get involved with the American Bar Association Young Lawyers Division in this way. I had been doing some work with them on professional development and wellness initiatives, but I brought this idea to them that I think that we should, that the ABA should speak to this. Um, And we actually passed a resolution last year to encourage all courthouses to have dedicated lactation rooms. So that for me has been such a great way to sort of fulfill my obligation to the legal profession in addition to my career. And so I, I say that to remind people that you know, we all come into law school for a specific reason. Maybe there's a group that you want to advocate for. There's a type of work that you want to do. There's a salary that you want to obtain. But I think it's all of our responsibility to make the profession better. And however you choose to do that, and it may not come to you right away, right? It may take, as it did for me, being a lawyer for nine years to figure out where I could really give my voice um, but I think it happens for everyone if you, if you, if you make it a priority for yourself. And so I, I think I'm not really answering the question in so many ways, but that's how I want to contribute, right? That's how I want to be an ally. That's how I want to make the profession better by just doing my part. I can't save the world, right? I can't fix all of the issues that I see that I would like to fix, but I can do my part. Um, by contributing to a profession that is more equal than the one I came into. No, that was a great answer. And you touched on voluntary bar service, which is something uh, Journey to Esquire scholarship and leadership program emphasizes because it gives um, particularly young lawyers an opportunity to take on leadership roles, be innovative, and just have a support group to help you launch ideas when you do have an idea like that. Otherwise it gets overwhelming, right? If you're right. <laughs> like you, Joanne right. Burnett trying to do this on her own, it was a right. nice Yeah. But if right. it's, you know, Joanne and Fall coming together. That's right. um, and that lends to another question, parenthood. Yes. Um, how do you <laughs> handle parenthood and practicing law? Because law is so mm-hmm. intense and can be mm-hmm. all consuming if you let it. And of course, so can children <laughs> if yeah. you let them. And so, you know, people are abandoning this idea of balance and they're yeah. more of like a juggle or mm-hmm. a integration, uh, integration yeah. because it's <laughs> not that your life and your work are separate. Work is a part of your life and so is your family. Right. 
So how do you integrate all of those things to make sure you're maintaining your personal wellness and not getting stretched too thin? You're giving your family the time they deserve and they need, but you're also completing your work in a timely basis because that then feeds into your ability to take care of your family and your wellness. So what are your thoughts? Absolutely. So I have a three-year-old daughter and I have a four-month-old daughter. Um, and, uh, it's a rodeo (laughs) is what my husband and I are just like, it's a rodeo, but the ways that we have found that we can make it work for us. And I think everyone has to identify what makes sense for their family. Um, because what makes sense for my family today might not have made sense for my family, you know, six, seven months ago, but today, um, I can say that, for me, having a, a partner, so my husband, who is all in, right? Um, we we view it as a hundred percent, a hundred percent partnership. And sometimes um, that means he has to leave early to pick up the girls. Sometimes that means I have to leave early to pick up the girls. But we try to really communicate. Um, we sit down. We get up really early before our girls do, and have a cup of coffee and breakfast together. Uh, We don't always get to sit down and have dinner together because of our schedules, but we do always have breakfast together. And that is really important for us. And that's how we can sort of balance the day, um, figuring out, making sure that everyone gets home when they need to. Uh, For us, we're also fortunate to sort of live in a time where there's a lot of things that, um, that we can use our, the technology for. And so for us, grocery delivery is a really important part because we, we look at our day and we look at the hours that are so precious. I don't want to spend those precious hours in the line at the grocery store. Um, so things like that have been really helpful for me having a, a work culture that values my family. Um, my husband also works for a company that values our family. And so finding that for yourself and making sure that it makes sense for you is what helps me. Um, but it is a juggle and it is, um, some days are easier than others. It's hard. Um, but I am a person who is just incredibly grateful for the family that I have. I'm incredibly grateful for the ability to be able to have my groceries delivered to me and um, to prioritize different things that make our lives easier. Um, That wasn't always the case, right? We didn't always have the luxury of being able to do that, but we found ways to to budget some of those things in that do make our lives a little bit easier. But it really does require, you know, they say it takes the village and there's really no doubt about that, right? We have, um, we don't live close to our family. So our families are far away, a couple hours away, but we have people here that we can rely on in a pinch. We have friends here that can help pitch in if things get really stressful or if we have a lot of external commitments that we have to manage. So finding um, a support system, I think has been incredibly helpful for us as well. That's great. It really, I think lawyers really starting to understand the whole, it takes a village to raise a child concept because, um, that's what it's going to require. People who yeah. step in in a pinch. I had a son who mm-hmm. got sick a lot when he was younger. So, and I can hard. Yeah, you can't just keep missing work and, you know, definitely. And you don't want to quit because you can still do it. You just need flexibility. Um, right. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's helpful. So I think one tip we can give is, you know, make sure you have that. If your family's not close by, a friendship network or emergency childcare is going to be a godsend because you never know. And I also think that's another plug for sort of the voluntary bar associations, because some of my village includes people that I have met through those organizations, people who are going through the same thing that I am. And so I think, you know, my village includes people within the legal profession as well, where we can all pitch in and help each other. Um, So I think that's another reason to get connected with a voluntary bar association that sort of speaks to your values um, and uh, is that has people that you can identify with. That's a great pitch. So the last thing we're going to talk about is allyship. And I'm defining that as those in power supporting unrepresented or underrepresented and minority groups. And we all are in a position where we have some privilege or advantage, and we can look at someone who's outside of our group who may be able to help. And there are times where we're on the other side, we're the underrepresented group looking for allies to advocate on our behalf. So what would you like to say about that? So I do think, um, I think it is incredibly important to identify the privilege that you have, to really understand um, how your experiences might be different from someone else's. And I think that that's a journey for everyone. I think um, my journey is going to be different than everyone else's journey. And I think what we, what I like to see um, is people being gracious with one another as we are all on that journey. We all start from a different place. And for me, being an ally is largely about learning. And so asking questions to better understand, but also looking for the information myself. I don't always believe that it's somebody's position, you know, if someone doesn't have a particular privilege in a, in a space, it's not necessarily their obligation to teach me, right? It's my obligation to learn and is my obligation to, um, to build relationships and ask, you know, ask questions, but also look for answers and to just be a good support system and to be a good friend and to try to, um, have empathy, try to, um, and, and, and find ways to just support one another in whatever journey that you are in. And I think sometimes these conversations are hard to have. So I think just approaching it with a spirit of um, acknowledging the privilege that you bring into a space and recognizing that not everyone has the shared experiences that you think that they do and trying to learn who people are on an individual basis to not make assumptions about someone's background, to not make assumptions about someone's beliefs, but to just try to get to know and connect with people on an individual basis. For me, that's, um, that's how I can use my privilege. I think I can also use my privilege by speaking out in a space where maybe not everyone feels that they can speak out. Um, and I try to do that when I can. And I, I just try to learn. I just try to learn more because I think it is a journey. And I think when we are gracious with each other as we're on that journey, I think it just encourages people to want to be a better ally. That was a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> you did describe what I was thinking with allyship. So 
Thank you so much for this interview. It was great getting to know you more and chatting. And so I will stop recording now. Uh, now it's my pleasure to introduce you to one of the law students in the Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program. Hi, I'm Forrest Sutton. I am a 3L at Stetson Law School, and I have the privilege of being a Journey to Esquire Scholar. So why I came to law school? Um, as a kid, I had a love for, for contracts. Um, you know, I, I remember making contracts as a kid with my sisters, and <laughs> in the end, my dad actually never enforced them. But uh, additionally, I mean, I, I loved the, you know, going back and forth, the thought for me was that law was really black and white. And coming to law school, I've actually realized that that actually wasn't the case. Uh, it's a lot more gray than black and white. And interestingly enough, that's a part that I've actually loved, even though I've kind of developed this um, desire to, to stay in law. It's all been about the advocacy, the persuasion, the uh, changing of perspectives that I've, I've really enjoyed. And as far as what my journey's been like so far, I mean, it's been great. It's been a lot of ups and downs in the sense of you know, building and maintaining past relationships. Uh, you know, I've had many friends and families that don't really understand the so sort of struggles that go along with being a law student. Um, but in the same vein, I've also been able to build a lot of connections and networks. And that part has been absolutely incredible for me. We just passed the mic to attorney Joanne Grages Burnett. In her time with us, she left us with six key takeaways. Number one, she spoke about the importance of externships. Number two, she spoke about the importance of networking relationships. Number three, she encouraged prospective law students to actually sit in some courts before attending law school. Number four, she spoke about ensuring the legal profession remains as diverse as the community. Number five, she spoke about the Florida Association for Women Lawyers Lactation Initiative. Number six, she spoke about balancing life and law. Journey to Esquire would like to thank attorney Joanne Grages Burnett for taking the time out to join us on the podcast. We encourage our listeners to read the show notes attached to this episode for more information about the guest and the organization's mission. I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our supporters, especially our JD level sponsors, U.S. District Courts, Middle District of Florida's Bench Bar Fund, and Agape Christian Bar Preparation Services, Inc., for their generous support. I'd also like to thank WMU Cooley Law School, Tampa Bay Campus, for providing a space for the recording of several of the episodes of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.